Open up your books, you bad apples. Oh my god. Oh. oh, oh, my name is Cole, and I'm making the most of my life by exploring the many wonders of the world. No. I saw no. the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> hey, man, okay, so hear me out. So I was riding my e scooter. I had my little e scooter, and I had a little bit of tight pants on, okay? And I'm, I'm pumping, I'm pumping the scooter with my leg and I hear it rip and I was like, there's no way my pants just ripped. I don't look down until I get to the Eiffel Tower and <laughs> I see that the upper part of my inner seam ripped, but I still have my tickets for my, for the Eiffel Tower to go to the top. Oh, of so course. I was like, I gotta go to the top. And I did do that, and I acted like nothing was wrong. And sure. I think only one or two people noticed that my pants were ripped. <laughs> did you maybe, did you check the um, souvenir shop in the Eiffel Tower? Maybe they were selling Eiffel Tower-themed pants or something like that? <laughs> uh, maybe not. No, it was too hot, man. Like, it was oh, like 100 degrees, and then I was like, we're in like this metal structure and how it works is like so you take an elevator or the stairs to the midsection and then in the midsection everyone crowds there to get to the top because you can only reach that by elevator the eiffel tower is a lot bigger than i thought it was and is actually kind of scary so i was kind of done with it at the end of the day and my pants were ripped so i had to call it a day well if i want to climb the top of a building just to i assume people climb like the Burj Dubai and stuff just because they don't feel anything. So I'm assuming that like the sheer terror of knowing that you're a hair away from falling to your horrible death. I assume that have you ever seen those videos of people climbing the buildings and then they're standing and someone is sitting on the other person's shoulders without like a harness or anything like that. That's how I want to climb a super uh, tall building if I'm going to. I don't want to, but that's how I'm going to do it. Like free solo. That's scary. Yes. I didn't watch that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I am your host, Lucas Nord. And I am your host, Cole Lang. And Cole, you went to Paris. And yes, sir. in the time you were in Paris, I'm sick of your globe trotting story, so I'm gonna tell a story about Okay, yes, about yes, please, please something please. I something that happened to me. This one's actually kind of weird. On Sunday night, I was just sitting around the house all on my Adinaki, just kind of hanging out. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I'll walk around the house sometimes, just maybe jiggle a door handle or something like that, just to check if it's locked. When I uh, went to bed, to my knowledge, every door in the house was locked. And then when I woke up, my um, my door out into my garage was wide open. Oh, and you didn't do that. that. Uh, I don't think I did, but I, I, I was also getting into some um, debauchery the night before. So, I mean, for all I know, the uh, coffee grinder could be on the roof. I just, I wouldn't know what happened until I found it. You know what I mean? So uh, maybe I flung that door open uh, just for something to do, perhaps. That I've been taking extra precautions because I just finished the HBO series All Be Gone in the Dark. Yep. Uh, Michelle man. McNamara, R.I.P. R.I.P. True crime uh, icon, can we say? And uh, yeah, that that stuff legit creeped me out. Like the, just the way he would uh, study 
his victims or future victims and uh, know everything about them. And then after he would do his crime, he would just like chill in the house and like open up a carton of milk and like chill in the house. Like it was, oh, it's so cool. It's obviously too bad that he wasn't caught earlier, but the fact that the worst years of his life are going to be made worse by being in prison is kind of something to take comfort in. Yeah. Yep. Just like our boy, Alex. Kind Seg, of. <laughs> Segway. Hey, are you sure that you were riding an electronic scooter in Paris or was it a Segway? Uh, no, it was like an e-scooter. No, it, it was an e-scooter. But like a Segway? No, no, no. See, no, was, you, it was you like know, a Razor scooter, but electric. It, I'm making it. I'm making it like a joke. Yeah, I know. We segued into oh. the <laughs> segment. Yeah, but, we did. Okay, well. Hey. But we okay, got to separate whatever. the scooters and the segways, so. No, we need to stop making jokes on the show. I don't even know if you could call them jokes, <laughs> but I am sick of hearing all the laughter. Yeah, we're sick of the fun. I prefer to keep everything completely, like, serious. Yes. And I don't yes. think that's too much to ask for. I guess we'll uh, scooter into this, but first we'll need to talk about part two. Would you mind oh. giving us a breakdown on part two? In part two, Alex takes his trip to the state penitentiary. He gets kind of chummy. The stadja. He gets kind of chummy with um, a chaplain that lets him play music, and he kind of gets his kicks reading the Bible. And he hears about a experimental technique that shortens the prisoner's sentence down to two weeks. So he's obviously all over it because as we've seen throughout the whole book, he's not exactly the king of hindsight. <laughs> and he is strapped to a chair made to watch torture films that the government somehow procured. And after two weeks of two daily sessions, he leaves the prison a quote-unquote new man um a christian man yeah through the technique he was made to not be able to tolerate the slightest act of violence or sex or anything like that and i'm a little fuzzy i obviously have the outline right here i just got done writing it a few days ago but i still feel like i should say that there may be some particularly violent topics but this should definitely be the easiest to listen to of all three i would think yeah yeah i agree so part three or part two i guess we kind of learned about what was called ludovico's technique and yeah he had those like violent impulses but he would have a violent reaction to it and so he couldn't even stomach, like literally couldn't stomach the idea of um, all the actions he did in part one. And yeah, and then we got into questions of morality of this treatment. And um, and that will be kind of explored further in here as Alex tries to deal with his new mindset, his new government procured mindset to make him a perfect uh, person will also probably be coming back to that moral question as we more just like discuss the book because there's a lot to unpack there yeah yeah definitely uh without further ado though shall shall we yes all righty now 
there's a little stinger that we're going to be saving for the end of uh, part three here that we'll obviously tell you about when we get to it. It's not related to the next uh, story or book or anything like that, but you know, you'll know when we do. Um, Standing free outside the stadja, Alex reflects on the calamity he just witnessed. Being left to fend for himself with no extra help, all on his Adinaki without a scrap of dang in his pocket, Alex makes his way to a cafe for some eggy wags. Mm. He reads a government-run newspaper. I put shocker in parentheses (laughs) here just because it's obvious that everything is run by the government, and yeah, they're even completely pumping out the news probably whitewashing it with all their yellow journalism yeah, and all that i mean business. i don't know about you man i stick solely to pbs c-span uh npr i feel like and that's about it but there would be more propaganda i feel like pbs is supposed to be nice um yeah we actually have some good government funded um programs here uh, well i think i think so As the government brags about its success and urges for a re-election when the time comes, two weeks from this point in the book, he thumbs through an article describing the improving strength of the police before flipping to the next page and seeing a familiar face in the paper. Uh, Uh. The picture is none other than he himself, Alex No Last Namerson. Next to his picture is one of the Minister of Interior or inferior with quotes bragging about the success and of him kind of being at the forefront of ushering in a new crime-free era obviously all kicking off with alex and his torture that he went through yeah this is also a big transition too because they start well before the war on crime was a thing uh this was their version of a war on crime in this novel so yeah they were just using more brutality with the police and yeah i mean this is obviously just a big propaganda push and will help this guy get reelected. alex heads back home to see his pnm for the first time since their last visit to the stadja a handful of weeks earlier and looks forward to lying in his bed and listening to music like he used to The lobby to his building has been cleaned of vandalism in the time he's been away, and he hops in the elevator. Alex is greeted by not only his folks, but a complete stranger sat with them eating dinner. Uh Now, Cole, Cole, picture yourself walking home. You've been away. Maybe you haven't been away in prison, but you've been away just kind of on your Adinaki doing your thing. Maybe you're visiting the Eiffel Tower or something like that. You come (laughs) home. You come home. And mom and dad are sat at the breakfast table eating breakfast, but there's some late 30s dude sitting there with them who's giving you the stink eye the second you walk through the door. <laughs> Does any, do you get any particular feeling thinking of such a situation? Uh, I'd be like, mom, you never told me I had a brother, you know, but in this case, it's not his brother. But yeah, I mean, I'd be completely thrown off. This would it could not be fun. I guess it could be your brother if you really thought about it. Yeah. The stranger verbally attacks Alex before Alex's mother bursts into tears going, boo hoo hoo, having belief that he has broken (laughs) out of the stadja. Uh. Um, 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting that his parents didn't know that he was going into the procedure if they weren't aware of the fact that uh, he got out. Well, I mean, we'll yeah. see that his dad did know, but it is kind of interesting that they just thought that he was continuing his sentence, I guess. Yeah, he, um, like, well, she she's, like, crying because he thought, or she thought that he broke out of prison. But technically, Alex is completely legal right now. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the stranger, when he sees Alex for the first time, he's like, this is a quote from the book. He says, who are you, friend? Where did you get the key? Out before I punch your face in. So it's just like, if I were to return home, because I haven't been home for like a year, and I don't really foresee myself going home until Corona dies down. And yeah, if I was to enter my house and like, I'm like, oh, yeah, like my family, I'm going to spend time with them. And then there's this guy just berating me. Um, well, I'm going to be uh, just thrown off. He doesn't have any soft edges that's for sure you know yeah yeah alex informs his parents of his treatment and release and he is informed that joe the name of the stranger has been staying with alex's parents and sleeping in his old room renting it out from them brushing past the trio alex rushes to his room only to find everything has been changed and all his prized possessions including his stereo are missing not the stereo uh, how is he supposed awful. to listen to how is he supposed to listen to Ludwig van yeah Alex's dad tells him that due to legal procedure Alex's possessions have been taken and sold or given away as a form of compensation for the young man's victims of his past life pre-staja and um I originally wrote down a little joke in the outline about how they must have sold all the things and given the money to the cats just you know, it's kind of a funny thing because he killed the cat lady and her cats were, you know, they need money too, apparently. I read this part in the book and yeah, the money did go to the cats. <laughs> Holy, I wonder, like, what what would all the cats do with the, the money? Like, it, it's got to be a More lot milk. of money. More milk, probably 100 cans of cat food. Uh yeah. We yeah. aren't really we aren't really told what Alex's loot is like, but we see in the movie that he's got a big drawer full of jewelry and he's got a snake and he's got a bunch of expensive stuff. So maybe is... it's safe to assume he's got a similar thing going in the book. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'd imagine he seems to be pretty well versed in his career, his criminal career. Alex begins to cry when his father tells him they have no place for him to stay, and Joe, who is closer in the parents' age than to <laughs> Alex's, by the way, considers himself a foster son, and then berates Alex until the young, reformed man leaves. Oh my god! So, Alex starts this book out, quote-unquote, on top of the world, and man, has he had a fall from grace. Either, I think just when you think it couldn't get any worse. I think this has to be the most demoralizing thing just to have this because this guy's got to be a loser. And like for this loser, this 45, uh, that's probably his age or around there. I don't and, know. Yeah. But just to be like berating you, it's like uh, he this was one of his quotes. He was like, I heard all about you, boy. I know what you've done breaking the hearts of your poor grieving parents 
So you're come, you've come back to make their lives miserable once more. Over my dead body, I am like a son to them, not a lodger. So he's like, move over. Like, I, I am their son and you are no longer. And it's just crazy. Can you imagine? Now, I'm sure that plenty of people get by doing this. But imagine moving in with uh, two people your parents' age, but they're not your parents and there's no relation at all. Wouldn't that be interesting? That would. And it'd be... um not fun and like the the parents you. The, <laughs> yeah it would be a party but no the parents are like they're kind of on joe's side because they're like well alex he's been paying rent and um <laughs> so, joe he seems a little rougher on the edges but he doesn't seem so bad i mean if he's paying rent man um he he gets th- he gets the room alex i'm sorry I, I have nothing else to say. Alex probably, I mean, he wasn't even paying around when he lived there. Alex walks the street, ending up at the old record store he was at a few years ago back in part one and gains the attention of passersby on account of his on height of fashion, outdated clothing. It's been two years. How how further forward could clothing trends have really jumped is kind I mean, of what I'm curious about. I mean, in this society, especially in his, uh, or in this group of teenagers, this youth style is like, yeah, yeah. That, that inspired like this, this group of kids in the novel. Um, they're always talking about fashion and stuff. So it seems like it, it moves quite fast. And, um, I like yeah, fashion. It, yeah, I mean, now it does change quite a bit. Okay, yep. You know what? There I went being pessimistic again, but that's a good point. Thank you for that. Yeah. He enters a booth in the record store to listen to music, having forgotten about its collateral damage done to him after the treatment. He exits the store with haste and goes to the old Corova Milk Bar where he gets a hallucinogenic malaco. And that is not like him, because he yeah, was no. very judgmental about people that did this. He attacked that guy in the beginning of the book for having some of the hallucinogenic malaco. But once again, we've seen that Alex has just had a fall from... Can't even call it grace. Wouldn't call it grace. Uh, having he, a he fall just, from whatever. Yeah, he just um, hit rock bottom, and then he's digging that hole deeper (laughs) after tripping and coming down alex has a realization that perhaps the only escape from his agony is suicide the idea sounding more tempting to him as the minute passes alex makes his way to a library in search of a book that will give him a solution to his problem in the form of finding (laughs) a painless and quick method of suicide but cannot find any satisfactory material and instead turns to the bible what? Um, and can't we all? Again, I wrote in parentheses that this is an obvious point for a joke. So, how about I say, if you're ever in a time of emotional turmoil, turn to the Bible. It's that always fixes my problems. Yeah. <laughs> Alex is discovered by an old man, but not just any old man. Cole, if we're going to be introduced to an old man at this point in the story, who do you think it's going to be? Man, so this is reminding me a lot of. Um... Uh, crime and punishment just kind of like Raskolnikov uh, dealing with his crime and you know he's kind of haunted by his demons and 
for Alex, his demons are probably all the old people that he attacked. So <laughs> I'd imagine wow. that these guys will make a comeback. And Good I guess. mean, in the most literal sense, they're coming back with uh, um, coming back with the their fury. canes in hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alex is discovered by the old man he had assaulted <laughs> two years earlier before being locked up. And the man, very similar to the old cat lady, calls a pack of old men from around the <laughs> library to assist in the beating <laughs> Of the troubled young man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it, yeah, he's just like, uh, he's like in the corner flipping his coin, just waiting for Alex to get out of prison. He's probably reading the newspapers. And yep. then he's just like, all right, he's going to come around here any second Anytime. now. And then, and then he's like, come here, boys. And then like all of his old men just arise and with their walkers and shit. And Alex... Yeah, he's in for some trouble. <laughs> the worst part, too, is we'll obviously get into what happens to Alex after the pack of old men start attacking him. But um, right before all this happened, when he was walking into the library, I forgot to write down that he stepped on a rake. Oh, and it like hits him in the face. The handle flew up and hit him right in the middle of the face. Uh, it's just like a freaking Three Stooges bit right here. It, right when you think it couldn't get any worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I so I thought like having an old man lodge with your parents uh, couldn't be any more embarrassing. He's not and that old. Kicked out of the house. Uh, well, older. Um, but I mean, now he's getting beat up by a bunch of old men, <laughs> and like I don't. I, I, well, and you know, uh, the biggest the biggest kick in the pants is that whole being tied to a chair and tortured thing. That would really bum me out. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I guess in terms of embarrassment, this would be very embarrassing. Alex, for probably the first time in his life, urges for someone to call the police who arrive just as he is overtaken <laughs> to the ground by the geriatric <laughs> pack. Uh, but, Isn't that kind of uh, interesting too? You know that Alex has had the police called on him his fair share of times. Yeah, but now he's like, "Oh, what's the number? How do I? <laughs> what's the number for nine one one? Quick, quickly! And quick, quick, quick. Th this whole time it's like in slow motion, but it's just really because these guys are so old. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll see that. Um, who knows? I I think. The police will arrive and everything will get better. So I guess we'll find out. <laughs> well, there's the only place for Alex to go is up. Yeah. The Razas arrive and pry the young nincompoop from the clutches of the elderly. Alex is shocked when it's revealed the pair of police officers are none other than Dim and Billy Boy. His uh. obvious, he's his, I mean, obviously his previous droog that whipped him in the face with his bike chain, <laughs> left him hurting like Bazumi. Yep, when the police showed up and Billy Boy, the gang leader that um Alex and his droogs uh fought with right towards the beginning of the book. Yeah. Both of them have just worked their way up and you know, maybe this is telling uh previous street toughs being recruited into the police and just doing the same thing they were doing before but with more power. Yeah, scary thought. Yeah, absolutely. 
Dim and Billy Boy are not as surprised to see Alex as he has to see them, as they were informed earlier that day from a superior that Alex was released from prison and quote-unquote cured of his violent impulses. Yeah, so like, I'm sure they were expecting to get a call of, of Alex doing the crime, but for him to be beat up by these old men, they're probably just totally thrown off. And uh, what... <laughs> One, once they roll up, like, uh, I remember Dim is doing his laugh. He's like, hey, hey, hey. and then uh, uh, Alex just like strikes back at him because Dim is saying, oh, yeah, we heard from our superior officer that uh, about your whole experiment. And then Alex jokes back at him and he's like, uh, you probably had to have it read to you because you still can't read, which you can't. Dim can't read. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Alex still has a little fire in him, apparently. After, <laughs> yeah, he's he's still got the jokes. After repeatedly being kicked around, yeah, the pair of officers blame Alex for the commotion and drive him to the countryside. Alex is viciously beaten by Dim and Billy Boy in the middle of nowhere, while a third officer silently waits in the squad car. Uh. After a satisfactory beating, the Millicents leave Alex alone miles from the nearest town, with a promise to see him again soon. Uh, once again, just kind of showing how bad these cops are. I mean, it couldn't be uh, there couldn't be a better metaphor to have like his former gang members join the this uh, corrupt police department and just kind of doing these heinous acts that Alex would still be doing if he wasn't t- uh, quote unquote or finger quotes cured, right. Alex, on his Adinaki, follows the sound of farming equipment to a, a familiar village. He's hungry and cold, and he makes his way to a small house with a sign on the front bearing the word home. Making his way to the door, he knocks and begs the inhabitants for a drink and a seat by the fire. It's kind of interesting, too, that he's using his same exact tactics from before he went to prison he's knocking on the door he's asking for water he's saying that he needs help you know uh what would you call that wolf or ironic boy who cried wolf yeah it is a bit ironic too yeah a man opens the door and lets alex in alex shares his story of his reformation and police beatings he's all been given on the same day and the man refers to him as a victim of the modern age that kind of makes me think of the old drunk, actually, in the beginning of the book, talking yeah. about how the world is made for the young. Yeah. Um, not completely similar, but there's obviously kind of a... What's the word I'm looking for here? It's uh, like that fancy book word. Uh, mirrors? Mirrors that kind of? like? Um... No. I, I bought a copy of No Country for Old Men secondhand, and it was full of writing from the person that owned it before literally every page had a writing on it oh motif they wrote the word motif next to like every third line so that's what i'll say here too it's a bit of a motif yeah and it's interesting because um instead of being victim of like young criminals he's like you're a victim of this terrible government like yeah uh, kind of flipping that perspective 
It's then that we are informed the man doesn't recognize Alex, but the same cannot be said the other way around, as obviously this is the man that Alex and his boys attacked and they raped his wife two years earlier before. Well, I mean, at the same time, Alex eviscerated the man's manuscript for his book, A Clockwork yeah, Orange. Yeah, and if, if for our dedicated listeners, if you um, remember from part one, uh, home was mentioned earlier like that that was the same cottage right yep the the house bearing the word home on the front yes yeah, so you guys caught that awesome awesome job yeah. a plus also our third mention i believe of the phrase a clockwork orange inside the book because it starts with the guy writing the book and then in part two when alex is listening to the room argue over what he's going to act like now that he's been quote unquote cured. He asks if he's just to be a clockwork orange. Yep. The man does, however, recognize Alex from the previously mentioned newspaper article. Um, he seems caring uh, and initially clings to the idea that Alex can be used in a plot to dislodge the ominous government and thinks that Alex was brought to his house by fate. So he's obviously already just, flying out the gate and who's to say who's to say that he actually doesn't immediately cling to this idea because of alex because maybe he didn't get the help he needed after from the government after he was attacked and his you know he was beaten and his wife was attacked and stuff like that maybe alex he sees him as like the main puzzle in a or the main piece in a puzzle that wouldn't even be there without alex in the first place yeah, that's a interesting thought because like this man, after all the terrible things that happened to him, he's like, oh my god, like he could he could have been like, uh, buzz off and like get out of my house, you dirty criminal, and have that would mindset. have been fair. And the fact that he still opens his door to a stranger after his experience, kind of, I, I don't know, it's just kind of crazy that he still has like hope for humanity i guess yeah i mean you would kind of think that even if you got ding dong ditched one time you know you might never look at the door the same way but just to think that this guy is still accommodating it only happened two years earlier and it still as we'll see has such a lasting impact yeah yeah all the while, Alex is enamored with the fact that the familiar stranger has been drying the same plate for 10 minutes straight through their entire discussion. Hmm. Alex questions the man about his toweling technique and is informed that the man's wife died after being viciously raped by a group of young men two years earlier, and he never learned how to properly do chores. That's so sad. Now, it is sad. I... Uh, I can obviously feel for this specific character, but that is a really weird excuse as to like, you just can't see like if there are droplets on the towel. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I, I think it's more of a thing like more dazed, oh, maybe. No, I think it's more of, um, just trying to fill a void kind of thing. Like if your significant other suddenly passed and they did these certain things throughout the house oh. um, and like all of a sudden they're gone, maybe like doing those things. Yeah, sure. This guy just might be shitty at chores, but at the same time, like it, it might just be might give him like a sense of comfort. 
like doing very fair very fair that's just the hot take that's just my hot take now once again too i have written in parentheses in the outline here that i wouldn't call it a bad thing that we obviously know who the man is just by reading that he goes to a house with home in front of it because they spell it out just like that in the beginning i wouldn't say it's a bad thing that we know but it really would be something if it could somehow be flipped around. But this book, using so few locations and being so short, it would have to be like a thousand pages. And that part would have to be in the first 50 and the other part would have to be in the last 50 if you were going to be caught off guard by this. Yeah, I, I think that would have I think that would have been cool, too, to kind of have this twist. And even for Alex to be like, oh, shit, like I'm in the same house as this guy that I attacked earlier. Well rested after a good night's sleep, Alex weeds around his gracious host's home to find out the name of the man, instead of just asking. He finds a copy of A Clockwork Orange in the man's room with the cover stating the author's name, F. Alexander. Alex thumbs through the book, and although he doesn't understand much of what he reads, (laughs) kind of like how someone might feel reading this book, he gathers that the author is saying that man is fruit on a tree planted by God or bog, but man is in danger of being turned to machine by the modern world. That's another fun little thing put out through the book sprinkled in 20 times is whenever Alex refers to religion, he refers to God as God or bog. And one thing I do like as well is that, um, even though Alex probably can't comprehend any type of literature, he kind of like you think you what's dummy? going on with uh, uh, whatever this guy is reading. And I don't just know. Just by thumbing just, through it, he seems I, to get a pretty good grip on it. Yeah, but I, I guess like he doesn't tickle me as the type of guy to be like, oh, I, I get exactly what this guy is saying because he says he doesn't. I just feel feel like he's going through the pages the same way Raskolnikov did with the Bible. He's like, where's Lazarus? Where's Lazarus? And then yep. he's like, oh, this is what it means. And just kind of closes the he's book. Just, <laughs> he's just staring at the book. Raskolnikov in that part, a little callback to our Crime and Punishment series, I think uh, episode four or five. Yeah, yep. when he's flipping through the Bible and he's just like, you can tell that he doesn't know what he's looking for. <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah, he's just nope. like, I want to hear this damn story. And I feel like it's the same way with Alex. Just sees like one sentence. He's like, oh, that's what it means. And like throws it away. I got to say, too, I've been sprinkling in a little NADSAT throughout the, the outline here. And I've been thinking in a lot of NADSAT, too, when we're about to get into literally my favorite part of the book where Alex goes into full-blown NADSAT for no reason. But one of my favorite (laughs) words that I just recently learned was, do you slushy? Which is like... (laughs) uh, No, slushy is like listen or hear. So at at a point in the book when he uses it, I'll actually read the quote off in a minute here and then we'll talk about it. Alex Alex questions the sanity of his host after his reading session. Uh, His doubts are immediately swept away when he's cheerfully greeted by the man who's already written an article about Alex and his treatment by the government and has been waiting for Alex to sign his permission before sending it off. The man also makes Alex privy to the fact that he's phoned his associates to chime in on the current situation, only for Alex to unwittingly tell the man he thought he didn't own a phone. (laughs) Because in part one, come on, Alex, seriously. Uh. 
I have no sympathy for what you've done, but you should even know better than this. In part one, when they go to the door, they ask for a phone and a glass of water, and the wife tells him, we don't have a phone. So why does he immediately think, oh, you don't have a phone? I remember because of the last time I was here. Yeah, remember when I beat you and you didn't have a phone? Yeah. Remember that? Like he yeah. just keeps oh, yeah. slipping up. Oh, now who? Now look who has a phone. <laughs> oh, oh, big guy. <laughs> the author visually tenses up and Alex thinks he's blown his own cover only for the man's suspicions to quickly pass. Alex decides to keep his guard up after this. Ha ha ha. Over breakfast, Alex asks F. Alexander what is to be gained by helping Alex and pushing his article. The man tells Alex that he that him being on the forefront of defending a citizen's liberty will be reward enough for the amount of work he's willing to put in. Huh. Alex Alex questions what he himself is to gain from the transaction but the man clearly haven't hasn't given it much thought and urges alex to finish his eggy wags and chai so that he can read the article alex accidentally slips into more nadsat while commenting on the article <laughs> saying real horror show written well thou hast oh sir <laughs> so at this point it's almost like he's teasing this guy and like seeing how far he can get like i don't know if he's doing it on purpose or an accident but like it just seems like he's saying okay how how much does this guy not remember about me because you have to remember they were all in masks so yep. i mean having speaking in his language and maybe uh his voice would make him remember but uh it's not working so far my other favorite part is i am almost positive he never launches into like shakespearean talk through the whole book up until this point <laughs> he's like i'm a fellow scholar sir this was written well thou hast oh sir <laughs> like and this once again just like his previous comment makes uh makes the man suspicious yeah f alexander's associates arrive being z dolan rubenstein and db da silvia and the whole time Z Dolan is part of the book, um, he's written to be coughing, but his coughing noise is written K-A-S-H-L, which I just don't think is a noise that someone can make. <laughs> but that's how he's coughing. Huh. K-A-S-H-L. I wonder if this uh, D.B. DeSelva has any relations to uh, D.B. Cooper? Or, uh, who knows? People are usually related by first initials. Uh, hey, that's what the people are saying. That's what the talk is. The group gawks at the young victim of their government with their mouths practically watering at the thought of how they can use him as a weapon to take down their regime yeah what so like one thing that keeps on once again don't feel that much sympathy for alex but it's just like these guys are seeing him as an opportunity just like the government is so i mean yes their intentions are good um to kind of like make a statement on the government but it's like they just kind of want to be famous off of this stuff they see him as an opportunity in a completely different way that he saw everything else as an opportunity before he was caught by the police. Yeah, very true. One of the pack chimes in that it's unfortunate that Alex doesn't look more zombie-like, which Alex doesn't appreciate. Once again, 
just shows that the, yeah once again just shows that um they're kind of like we needed get we need to beat you up kind of thing like we need to uh make a good case and we, they're just disappointed that he doesn't look like shit at this point yeah Alex once again gives a slip of the tongue in the form of more NADSAT, saying, What goes on, braddies? What dost thou in mind for thy little droog have? Again, triggering F. Alexander. F. Alexander actually, after hearing this, says, I'm sure we've come in contact before. But uh. once again, it still, it still fizzles out pretty quickly. The men offer Alex no true solution to his suffering, which obviously upsets him. Uh, and Alex feels very used. And obviously, too, what does he expect? That they'll give him some Tylenol and all his problems will go away? Yeah. Alex launches off into more NADSAT, saying, I'm not an idiot you can impose on, you stupid Brachnies. Ordinary Prestupniks are stupid, but I am not ordinary, nor am I dim. Which is interesting, because the first time that he volunteered for the government program, he was all about it. But now he's like, whoa, 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 pump your brakes. Uh, let's think about this. Yeah, he's, uh, he's just always up to something, man. Realizing Alex may have overstepped his boundaries... He attempts to leave only to realize his efforts are futile as one of the men grabs his arm to keep him back. He's like, well, I guess it was worth a try. Hmm. Bringing Alex to an apartment not far from his home, the group, except for F. Alexander, ask Alex if he is responsible for the death of the man's wife. Alex, somewhat avoiding the question, tells the group that he has not only paid for his sins, but the sins of others, um, huh. probably being his previous Darug since so, they didn't get locked up like he did. Yeah, so um, I was thinking about this as well, but there's multiple instances where he is compa compared to, like, um, Christ. Like, in the most, dis you know, exaggerated way possible. But, like, at the end of part two, it says that he he's, like, a full Christian now. And what that was meaning was he's like almost like Jesus on the cross suffering for this government experiment so he can like liberate the, the people basically from this thing. So the book kind of plays on that to where, yeah, Alex is like this Christ-like figure for this society, but in the most messed up way possible. Yeah, and he ends up, well, I mean, he kind of got quote unquote crucified when he was put through the technique kind of kind of thing like that i guess maybe i don't know yeah. i actually i didn't think of it at all like that but it's kind of interesting yeah yeah there's actually a lot of a few more instances like that where um he that hint towards christianity and like suffering and stuff kind of like a crime of punishment we're having lots of call callbacks the thought makes him ill uh assuming that he's thinking of his past wife so he lies down to catch some z's and is awoken to a classical vesh playing from another room and is filled with joy for two whole seconds before being taken over with the sickness and pain oh, 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 oh. <laughs> he bangs on the wall to no avail and goes for the door only to find it's been locked from the outside running around the room he notices a pair of pamphlets one reading death to the government and the other reading open the window to fresh air, fresh ideas, a new way of living. Alex takes it as a sign and he goes for the window. 
being many stories high in the building, hoping that God or Bog has the mercy to forgive the world for ruining his life. He jumps. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Like, um, they're almost encouraging Alex to do this. Yes, and, and they are. With, like, the whole death, death to the government thing, it's just kind of like, sure, their intentions are good, but, I mean, they want to encourage Alex to, like, hurt hurt him like a lot so um but yeah pretty pretty uh crazy scene and even in the movie it's it's pretty disturbing like he's just suffering pretty hard from this music playing yep very strange i i did wonder too i put the book down after i read this part and i couldn't remember the end of the movie so i wondered if the last section was gonna be like written by the ghost of Alex or something like that. But either way, we'll get into it. You don't even need to wonder, my dear listener. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're going to cover it. So uh, We're going to cover it right now. (laughs) Yeah, chapter six. Hey, Alex's fall doesn't kill him, but it certainly made him worse for wear, breaking his back, wrists, and feet. Before passing out, he realizes that his new friends meant for him to commit suicide so that um, obviously the headlining article in the paper the next day would be how bad the government screwed this poor innocent young kid up. Yeah. So he killed himself. Yeah, how they drove him to insanity, basically. Alex wakes up in the hospital a week later and immediately notices a nurse by his bedside reading a steamy romance. Now, do, do you think it was Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades Free? No, I picture it was one of those with Fabio on the cover. That works too. Maybe she's into Twilight. Maybe she's a Twilight girl. I don't know. Did you ever did you ever see that video where Fabio goes on the roller coaster and a bird flies into his face and breaks his nose? No, that sounds awful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is he okay? Yeah. Oh, this was years ago. Uh the young Petitza doesn't notice that the bedridden Vec has come out of his coma until he asks her to come lie down beside him. Kind of a strange change of pace for Alex, considering where he was not, you know, five chapters ago. Yeah. Alex, however, cannot make actual words with his mouth because it is swollen <laughs> and missing teeth. So the quote written in the book is, oh, wait, no, that's probably my personal quote. Fla, blah, 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 blah. Um, okay, no, yeah, right here I have written a personal approximation. So that's not how it actually sounded. We don't actually know what it sounded like. Yeah, he's just trying to make words, but he can't because he has no teeth and like his mouth is all messed up. The nurse exits the room and Alex drifts in and out of consciousness until he hears a familiar voice. That being of the prison Charlie saying that he's quit his position at the Stadia to preach about the trials and tribulations of the young Alex. So once again, um, it's almost like this guy's going to form a new religion where Alex is like the, um, like a Jesus Christ figure. Um, oh God. So, yeah. I mean, once again, just kind of hitting on that terrible, uh, idea. <laughs> I would never want to, um, uh, attend the church of alex that would be just it's awful it sounds pretty lame 
Yeah, too much Mozart. Drifting into the unconscious again, Alex wakes up to find his three newest friends standing by the hospital bed congratulating him for his success in helping their cause. Disgusting. Yes, absolutely, positively. They show Alex the many articles published within the last week chastising the government and the Minister of Interior, or Inferior, for what they've done to him and the nurse chases them out of the room. Alex has sweet dreams of himself committing the same crimes that he um, liked to write towards the beginning of the book and wakes up to find his parents in his room, telling them Joe has left town and they feel terrible for turning him away after he was initially released. <laughs> Maybe they finally realize that uh, Joe is only good for paying rent. <laughs> like, he yeah, no, sound like a dickhead. Joe was ready to be Sun 2.0. Yeah. Being able to speak again, Alex says that if he's to come back, he'll be the one running the show. Realizing that he can think of committing heinous crimes again without the pain and sickness, Alex asks the nurse if they've done if they've done something to his Gulliver that would set him straight and he is given a cryptic answer two days later mm. he's a, he's officially made aware that he's been indeed restored through deep hypnophadia which Ooh. is a term for learning while sleeping or under hypnosis so like turning on a history book while you go to sleep and listening to it and apparently waking up with new knowledge that's what they did to alex apparently to uh, fix his gulliver spooky Days later, after gaining more of his personal health, Alex is visited by the Minister of Interior or Inferior with a posse of cameramen and reporters behind him. He apologizes to Alex and tells him that he never meant him any harm. So do you think that this guy is actually genuine or do you think this is a a public stunt that every politician would do and take advantage of? (laughs) I can't imagine the guy cares about Alex, but also who's to say what he thought was going to come of everything in the first place. Plus this is one of those things too, that I'll call the toupee fallacy. Are you familiar with the toupee fallacy? No, please uh, enlighten me. The, the statement is I've never seen a good looking toupee. And, of course, you wouldn't know if you saw a good-looking toupee because you wouldn't be able to tell that it is a toupee. And you're aware of of the fact that a toupee is like a partial hairpiece. I... It's like a wig if you still... It's like a wig, but only if you're balding and not completely bald. Oh, oh, yeah, like what, um... uh, Frank... Frank has, or um, on Christmas Vacation, the uncle that has the uh, fake hair when he goes through the door and pulls it off. Yeah, yeah. So that's called a toupee, and the toupee fallacy is being able to call out a bad toupee, but the idea is that if you can, if it's good looking enough, you don't know it's a toupee. And maybe this is the thing where if, if, if no problems came from Alex... Uh, and his treatment, and he just kept going his merry way through life, being sickened by every thought of this, that, and the other thing, then this guy probably would have been completely fine with it. But now that it is a big deal, and everyone's talking about it now, he's got to at least try to save face. Hey, hey hear me out, hear me out. That's, pol- that's politicians for you, am I right? Lizard people. 
Hey, I, I can hear you out just fine. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. Alex is assured that he's been lined up with a well-paying job when he's completely recuperated, which is very interesting because we know that this government makes you work. So yeah. they don't even have, they don't, they aren't even giving him the option to go visit the <laughs> Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a job for you. Listen here, buddy. You can't be riding these scooters in Paris and ripping your pants, okay? You gotta go work. And he tells them, or and he tells Alex that F. Alexander has been imprisoned for Alex's safety and the safety of others. The minister offers Alex a hand in friendship and caught off guard is aroused into taking a picture while he and the minister are looking particularly chummy. <laughs> so this is one of the my favorite parts of the movie. This is where he's like giving the Incredible. thumbs up and he's like his smile is just so like <laughs> cheesy. But yeah, it's just that Alex did not see this coming and favorite scene in the movie. One of them. It's a good one. All Alex has to do in exchange is to sign an itty-bitty piece of paper before he's left alone. Obviously, just like when he signed his life away to be patient zero in part two, he signs the paper without a second thought and is left alone to bask in the pure bliss that is Beethoven's ninth. And that is the end of the story, actually. There is nothing after that. The book is divided into three segments, Seven chapters, seven chapters, six and chapters. Six chapters. If you live in America. I live in America. Cole lives in Europe, so he got the European version. And this is the stinger. If you remember back in the beginning of the episode, we were talking about a stinger at the end. Guess what? When they put this book out in America, they cut out the last chapter. So I read a different book than Cole did. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Yep. So you get a little uh the you get a little bit of um the European version and what the rest of the world gets to read. And the the small minded American one. And yep. if I may say, maybe you're listening to this and you haven't watched the movie. This is how the movie ends with chapter well, six. Kubrick allegedly didn't know that there was a chapter seven, but you also never know with that guy. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of sleazy sometimes. But it, the movie and the book ends with my favorite quote of all time, and it was, "quote I was cured, all right." Yeah, he does say that. And once again, I'm actually much more interested in the discussion episode for this one than I. Yeah. Well, I like yeah, we'll the one with crime it. and punishment. But we have so much to talk about. But was there anything you wanted to say about the American version of the book? Or did you just want to haul off? And This one is more realistic. Yeah, realistic. Well, we'll save it. We'll save it for the discussion afterwards. But yeah, this is how it ends. He's not cured. Well, he, he was cured, but then he gets knocked out of it. And he's basically the same person again. He was cured. All right. Yeah, when I first saw that in the movie, I was like, dang, that's deep. Like, me, freshman me, I was like, that's deep. You can't change who you are, dude. I like it. Well, oh, okay, yeah, no, we'll discuss all that. But I have a lot of very, I have a lot of thoughts on this whole book that yeah. we'll get to. Okay, yep. so without further ado, if you want to, if I, if I may actually just, this is kind of unrelated, but I've, I've been thumbing through the book again. And right in the first two sentences is one of the coolest sentences I've ever written before. If I may just read that off real quick. Of course. This is just right from the beginning of the book. 
And I just think that the pairing of words, this pairing of words are really set you up for what you're getting into. And it's Alex describing the weather because it's winter. He says, a flip, dark, chill, winter bastard, though dry. And I just I just think that that's an incredible way to put words together. And that was in what part? That was that is like the second sentence in the book. Oh, okay. I just I thought that was kind of I really like though I I just like the sound of that. But without further ado, chapter twenty one. The um the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, the extended cut. Uh, yep. If this was a Zack Snyder movie, uh, this would be the four hour version. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, thank God he didn't direct this movie. But yeah, chapter seven, technically chapter 21. So Burgess wrote this as chapter 21 and he kind of like batted it, batted the American version too, because 21 is the age of maturity in America. It's when you can drink and everything. So this is the chapter of maturity and we'll, we'll get into that. Alex is now 18. He is sitting at the Corova Milk Bar with his three new droogs. He's got a new new crew coming up. And this new crew uh, is made up of Len, Ricky, and Bully. Huh. So kind of has the same dynamics here with his previous group. He is drinking a glass of milk that, quote, sharpens you up while nice. he... Yeah, it's like he gets like super focused from this drink. And once again, kind of goes against. Well, did he drink that in the previous parts? Yeah, in the beginning of the book, he's drinking the same concoction because it gets him nice and ready for the night. Okay, it's the opposite of the one that puts you on your ass. So, yeah, so he's drinking that and it's pretty much the same scene and his droogs are also dressed in the height of fashion and we mentioned this earlier and the height it, it it's already changed like so now the height of fashion is loose trousers leather sleeveless jackets and this was the weirdest part but a, a like a, a monk's haircut like they have a haircut of a monk. Just to show me, or just to get a mental image, and it was exactly what I thought it was. Now, do you think that they are shaving the top of their head completely bald? Yeah, it, it's the height of fashion, baby. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. So I wish that, um, I, I wanted to see that in the movie, but of course it's not in there. So Alex is the leader. He is no longer the youngest of the gang. Like he once was, he's the eldest and he is very proud of his like status because he's been featured in the newspapers and everyone kind of knows about what has been done to him. He has the most prestigious job of the crew because like we were talking about earlier in chapter six, he works for the government now and he works at like the National Archives of Music and he's just kind of surrounded by like all these vinyl albums. So it's like a dream job for him. Huh. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of getting a different view of Alex now. He he kind of ha- he's kind of having like this comfy job and he doesn't really have to like attack people to make a living anymore. <laughs> so, his droogs start to make comments about a group of girls dressed in the height of fashion. Alex, he's like usually he'd be like, you know, all about it, but he's just kind of like almost annoyed and he's 
been feeling pretty bored and helpless the past few days. But however, the milk he's been drinking <laughs> uh, has started to kick in, which gives him like, quote, tingly energy. And it milk. just reminds me of uh, fight milk. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah, like he's just ready, ready for the night like the boys are in. It's always sunny. He decides to punch a man in the stomach that is drugged out next to him. Uh, just out of nowhere. And it's it's similar to the previous part. The man responds with, quote, Where in the top tails lieth the pop poppycorns? And because he doesn't even notice that Alex punched him and he's just like uh, blurting out bullshit. That the gang is like, all right, we need to head out. And like the night is young and we need to do our thing. And they head out into the cold winter night. So they come across this old man and at this point alex is giving orders he's no longer like a brute like not taking part yeah like he doesn't even find this fun anymore um god yeah like he he even says like he's not even entertained by violence as much as he once was so but eventually they're done attacking the man and they decide to go to the duke of new york which is another milk bar. And Alex sees the same old babushkas that were in the beginning of the novel, uh, the ones that said, oh, God bless you, boys. We didn't see anything whenever he pays them off. Alex, he has a pretty comfortable job now, and he doesn't want to spend his hard-earned money on these old babushkas anymore. So he's like, fuck off. Like, so yeah. Well, see, the biggest thing I'm taking away from this already is, uh, you know, we all get older and don't enjoy the same things as we once did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of, that's exactly what's happening here, kind of. Yeah, and we'll get into this, but um, Burgess, he, he, he was a big believer in moral redemption and, like, growing up. So, like, when Kubrick cut out this part of the novel, he was very angry. But, yeah, this is we're, we're starting to see that all the things that he loved and enjoyed in the first uh, few parts, he's just not the same person. And he's kind of, like, depressed about his status right now. And when he's there, he orders a beer for the first time in his, well, in the novel that we know of. And as he pulls out, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, that's a good callback. Yeah. And as he pulls out his money, something drops out of his pocket and Bully notices it. And it's a cutout of a picture of a baby from a newspaper, which is really weird. And at the same time, Alex notices that Bully has like these instances where he wants to be the leader of the gang kind of thing. So, of course, he picks it up. He's like, oh, shit, look at Alex. He's soft now. Alex describes the picture as, quote, it was a baby gurgling goo 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 with all the balaco dribbling from its rot and looking up and like smacking at everybody. And what a <laughs> ugly way to describe something so cute. Oh, and it gets worse. Like he also says, and its flesh was like in all folds with being a very fat baby. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, it's just a big old fat baby with milk dripping out of its mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, 
going goo goo goo. Oh, <laughs> um, so cute. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is Alex up to? <laughs> a baby yeah. in his a picture of a baby. Like I would never have saw this coming. So yeah, it is kind of weird. Like this chapter, like it is a weird transition. It's like but, fanfic. Yeah, almost. <laughs> but the gang, they try to grab the picture and Alex like he, he snarls at him like he literally barks at them he's like hey hey get away from there and he grabs the picture and uh he rips the thing to pieces oh yeah so he's very angry that they disco- they discovered he has a soft side one of the bushkas says that hey you shouldn't tear up money you could use that on me <laughs> and then uh bully is like hey, it's just a picture you old babushka so <laughs> Babushka. Yeah, just shows that the old babushkas uh, had no intentions to like uh, be good with Alex. They just wanted wanted the free drinks. They're in it for the free drinks. Oh, yeah. So Alex calls them babies and cowards because all they do is beat up weak people, which is just like Alex. Uh, the pot to- calling the kettle black. <laughs> yeah. So they're just totally thrown off by their leader acting like this. And Alex responds by pouring his beer out on the floor and tells them that he's not feeling it tonight and exits. As he walks the streets, he thinks about how his, quote, ultraviolence was dying out. So it's almost like his rage meter is like from a video game or whatever. is just like dying out and he has nothing left in the tank when it comes to the things he used to like. And um, he also mentions that the Rossies were being incredibly harsh these days. Like, so he's just kind of like, I really don't want to do ultra violence anymore because these cops are like being incredibly harsh. He, he also doesn't even enjoy like his classical music, like the Beethoven and uh, who was the other guy? Bach. 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 Yep. Um, but now he's starting to like romantic slow music. So another sure. change. So he enters a coffee shop and to a surprise, he sees his old droog Pete and next to him is a girl. Alex says, quote, well, 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 droogy, what gives very, very long time. No vidi. And then Peter responds with, oh, it's Alex, isn't it? Like just regular English. Ugh. Completely got rid of his uh, NADSAT lingo. So you got to grow out of it eventually, apparently, because Alex even describes it himself earlier in the book as a like a youth language. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, teenage slang. Jesus, I'm learning a lot more than I thought I would just based on this one chapter, but I guess it makes sense. I'm seeing more theme. It's interesting that the... Well, just interesting that this totally... This chapter was excluded and it has a totally different meaning to the book, too. Um, Yeah, yep. Yeah, so Alex continues to talk about the late George, his former droog that died, and he if i may say he died while alex was locked up and they were still running the old gang but george got killed during a robbery yeah and alex wasn't too phased by it was he nope nope and they also discuss like dim and his position as a cop 
and as he as he's talking the girl just that's next to pete just starts laughing and she's like why is he talking like this because I, i feel like as a whole the whole nadsat youth movement is kind of dying out and um yeah so pete says that um it's his wife like this lady is his wife and alex responds quote wife oh no that cannot be too young art thou to be married and because pete is 19 alex is 18 so it is pretty young yeah that is pretty young yeah and so his wife can't believe that pete used to talk to talk like that like she's almost embarrassed like Pete explains that they both are working, uh, him and his wife, and they're, they're just making it by. They're making ends meet. And he also lets Alex know that he knows what the government did to him. And he says that he's going to old Greg's house. That's their new friend. And they're going to play Greg. word gra- word g- games and uh, drink wine. So it's a uh, huge transition. Like <laughs> yeah, like that does sound fun. Uh, play Scrabble. Uh, well, today you have to play words with friends, but that's okay. And But Alex is left alone with nothing but his thoughts once they leave for Greg's house. Like, I don't even think Pete invited him, so. Yeah, why would you? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I don't blame old Pete. <laughs> Alex was pretty shitty. <laughs> Alex wanders the streets and thinks of the accomplishments of Mozart and um, all these other famous artists and what they did at the age of 18. And Alex, he's trying to think of like, well, what am I capable of? And like, what kind of future can I have? And he even thinks about having a son that, quote, gurgles goo, goo, goo. <laughs> so yeah, he's thinking about having a kid. Like, it's just a huge transition. And he also thinks about like youth and how it compares to being a wild animal. So he he thinks about he's thinking about his days and he's like, yeah, I was a bit of a wild animal back in the day. He also mm-hmm. thinks like of himself or like youth as like a toy that you can wind up and like it does exactly what it wants. Like it's like one of those toys that you wind up and it like waddles you know, like a monkey yep. or something, and then it, it just keeps on walking in a straight line. Well, that's well, how see, I, I'm immediately picturing the monkey with the chimes. Oh, uh, the clapping, clapping yep. monkey? Yeah, yeah. So he, he explains it like that, and he says that it will mechanically keep on following this path until it hits something. Like, it hits a barrier, which, I mean is a metaphor for Alex right now. Like he's just kind of at a crossroads. He also thinks that if he has a son, he's going to be a freaking monster and he's not going to listen to any of Alex's life lessons. Cause let's be honest, Alex has learned a lot throughout this novel. He explains that youth has been like this for generations, which he's not wrong. Like, I mean, or like teenagers and stuff, they're just kind of rebellious in nature and yeah alex is like well my kid is going to be a hundred times that and he's like i can't imagine raising myself Um, (laughs) and then he's like this whole time he's like uh but first i gotta find a wife (laughs) so he's like yeah that's an important part of the having a baby thing yeah yeah just it's maybe well it is the first step (laughs) yeah so 
he ends um well the book burgess's version by saying quote you have been everywhere with your little droog alex and all it was was that i was young but now as i end this story brothers i am not young not no longer oh no alex like groweth up oh yes end quote and he also is very hopeful for the free, for the future and cl- concludes the story with this. And so farewell from your little droog and to all the others in this story, they can kiss my sharis. Oh, my brothers, remember thy little Alex that was. Amen. And all that cow, which just means uh, shit. <laughs> so he's like, amen and all that shit. And yeah, that's how Burgess ends. I guess the full novel. So. Two very different endings. But, very different. But I think now that I know, because I've gone out of my way to avoid hearing about this one until this very minute, I find that I still like both of them quite a bit. But I, I probably got to go with the one I read more. And I think that that also, I don't know, this ending here really painted a picture for me too that made me think that maybe... There are people like Alex who grow out of just being horrible people because he was so young and then he kind of matures, I guess, is a weird way to put it. But then you can also think of plenty of people that just never changed after they were after they hit like five years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I first finished this novel, I was like, oh, yeah, the American version I love. But that's just the cynic in me. And then. Yeah. What uh, the more that I've like thought about chapter seven, even though it is a bit more rushed and kind of comes out of nowhere, I do like that idea, and it it does remind me of how Crime and Punishment ended too. And spoiler, guys, if you haven't listened to that series, um, do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the same way his story ends, almost exactly. Like Raskolnikov is like that this novel ends with me being a criminal but my future is like redeeming myself and it's kind of the same thing with alex where young alex i'm done with that i am cutting that from my life i am going to be uh mature alex and i want to have a son that goes goo 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 (laughs) like not completely dissimilar protagonists for the books obviously Raskolnikov was a little, I mean, a lot more sympathetic, I think, but, you know. Yeah. And with that, we cap off our A Clockwork Orange three-parter. Yeah, another fun one. I can't believe we're already done with uh, another series. It's gone by so fast. Yes, it has. Uh, But this one has been fun as well. Uh, Good job on the outlines and everything. Thank you very much. I had a lot of fun writing them. And just like I said with Crime and Punishment, I, I, I read this book, obviously, uh, as I was writing the outlines or after I was done with it or however all that stuff works. But writing it all down and really scrutinizing gave me a whole new appreciation for this book. And I think it's probably my favorite book now. Like, I don't know if I had one before, but the more I look into the NAD sat and the more I think about the themes that I still cannot completely nail down, I mm-hmm. the, just the more I enjoy it. Plus, I get to tell people that I read the book and I think the book is better than the movie, which is yeah. like my bread and butter. 
Oh, yeah. you like the Kubrick movie, but have you read the book? <laughs> oh, have you? And it's kind of like, uh, it's a major flex because Kubrick films are usually a top masterpiece. Top of the line. Yeah, yep. but I, I really liked um, reading deeper into the book and the details of this world that Burgess created because... The movie kind of glances glances over some of these aspects and thoughts about the characters and stuff, but um, yeah, I do like the book more. I wish because Burgess said he wrote this in three weeks, yep. and I, it just makes you wonder if the movie was never made, like, would he have made a sequel or like built onto this universe that um, he created because. He was kind of done with it after the backlash. But yeah, it, it was a an, an enjoyable read. And I know that um, for some, that might not be the case. I think the major themes is what should be focused on. And what the major themes are is just uh, a lot to break down. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun second series. I agree. Should we? Uh, I, I'm somehow even. I'm I'm somehow even behind on this. But should we announce our next very short series? Oh yeah, yeah. So if you guys want to, like, okay, so Clockwork Orange short book, you have to buy it. Well, guess what? This next book, you don't even have to buy, people, because it is available online. It is over um 100 years old and it is the call of cthulhu uh by, by the one. controversial hp lovecraft by uh henry pants lovecraft is what his actual whole name is henry poopy pants lovecraft uh kind of a piece of shit but he he's known uh, to be a bit uh he's known to uh, you know he had thoughts on stuff and he had a cat with a, a racist name. Really? Yep. We'll, we'll have to uh, dig into that once we get into the series. But yeah, that is our that is our next um, story we're going to do. I think it's going to be a two-parter just because we are going to dive into Lovecraft's pathetic life. And um, yeah, we're going to call uh, cover the, the mysterious being, celestial being that is Cthulhu. So and... I'm very looking forward to it. It's going to be uh, creepy. I'm excited to get into more creepy stuff. And once oh, I love creepy. Season, yeah, guys, uh, we're going to do more spooky stuff once uh, Halloween comes up here. So, yeah, we're very excited for that season. I don't know about you, but we've had a jolly time recording here, uh, governing about this Malenki book. Yeah. Um, We'll be back next week with a nice little discussion just like we did for Crime and Punishment because there's a lot to talk about this book and I need to get ready to go to work in 15 minutes and we don't we just don't have time for it. So oh. so follow us on Instagram at the Bad Apple Book Club. Please leave ratings for us on iTunes and Spotify. Make fake accounts. Make a hundred of them. Give us five stars with them. 
and um, we'll share our spoils when we're up there with Joe Rogan uh, <laughs> with you if you have proof that you made 100 fake accounts. Yeah, we got some uh, couple surprises coming soon. Uh, that we do. So I just... kind of wonder. Well, no, I won't talk about it right now, but we'll, we'll be talking about stuff soon. Yes, for sure. But as always, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, and yeah, just stay tuned and we'll catch you next week. Alrighty, everybody. Have a nice time. trouble with that podcast you call me of course you know oh yeah i can always do nothing with it